Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. And welcome to the Commonwealth Club. Every Thursday afternoon, most Thursday afternoons, I'm here with my co-host, John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club. John also does his own uh, podcast, his own show, which is the week-to-week political roundtable talk. So if you get a chance, check it out. Um, Our guest today is... President-elect, I'm super proud because, uh, you know, I know Gina and I get to brag, uh, but is, is Gina Graham, who is president-elect of one of the first ever uh, LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce to have formed in the world, I believe, and, uh, and we'll check in with her to see if that's actually true. But the GGBA, the Golden Gate Business Association, is one of the first LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce's, and uh, it was started in 1974, so 45 years old, so... Let's welcome Gina to the program. Gina, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad Super to be here. Honored and excited again. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I, as am I. Yeah, I bet. Well, before we start talking about the chamber and the reason why you're here and uh, many things I want to talk about, you know, LGBTQ in the uh-huh. workplace, where the country's going with LGBTQ rights. Let's talk about you. Let's get to know you. And I said this in our email exchange, and, and it's however you you receive this question. Um, and it really is only meant to get to know you, but it is share your coming out story. Okay. Uh, great. The, cause there's so many ways to, you know, tell me about yourself and, you know, I can take an hour. I can take two minutes. <laughs> uh, the coming out story that's, we, we all have one. So it's, you know, no, none are easy. Um, uh, I was born and raised on the North side of Detroit and I came out in 1992 as transsexual and I was 29 years old. I had made myself a promise and a vow that I was either going to transition or I was going to die before I turned 30. That was it. Those were my choices. Uh, so I, when I came out, you have to understand, no one expected this from me and my family. For the three years prior to coming out, I was working for uh, Ram Trucks, and I was touring the country as a narrating engineer, talking about Ram Truck engines and how this year's engines were better than last year's and had a huge wall of auto parts. So I've been doing that around the country for three years. And for the three years prior to that, I was a professional George Michael lookalike. <laughs> yes. So the news of my transition to female hit everyone like a bolt of lightning. You know, Wham. Why I'm George Michael. Okay. <laughs> um, so, okay, there's here. And um, I was raised in a, in a conservative Christian household. It's called New Testament Christian. And what we like to say, it's a lot like Southern Baptist, just not as liberal. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, um, I'm the youngest of three children. So I knew that when I was going to come out that I had to, for me, that I needed to write a letter because I believe that the minute I said the word transsexuality, kind of brain freeze that my parents would just, you know, this is not something, there was nobody that's, that's LGBT in my family. And I needed something that they could then read, put down, come back to and get right back into. So I decided to write a letter. And I lived about a mile away from my parents, a mile and a half. So I wrote this letter. And over the course of a number of months, I took it down from seven pages to one. And I carried it in the breast pocket of my leather jacket, black leather jacket I used to wear. And uh, one day I, just looking for the right time to destroy their world and come out. And it came one day in the fall and I pulled up and my dad was outside tinkering with the motorhome. And he looked at me and he said, son, what's wrong? 
And I just, I looked at him and I, I pulled this out and I handed it to him and I said, here, read this with mom. I got to go. I got back in my truck and I drove away and I thought, okay, it's done. And within a few moments I had arrived back to my house. My phone was ringing off the hook and my mom was crying and she says, come home. We need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So when I drove there, by the time I arrived, my sister who lived 30 minutes away or so was in her car in front of me a couple hundred yards. And I saw her pulling in the driveway as I was going down the street. And I swear she was out of her car before the car had come to a stop. I think the door was open and she hid it in park as she was leaping out. And she's standing in the driveway with my mom and my dad and my older brother and they're huddled and they're crying. And it was as close to being as one's own funeral as I could imagine. And so I couldn't stop. I went back home. I poured all the vodka I had into a glass with a little bit of cranberry juice, and I drank it for courage, and I went back to face them all. Mm. I hadn't planned on facing everybody at one time, but I did. Uh, It was a challenging evening. It was the first time that I'd ever seen my father cry was that day, and it was because of me. In three little words, Dad, I'm transsexual. Mm. That was all it took. Um, We went through the stages of grief all that night, and again over the next seven years. And it took seven years for my family to come to a point of understanding that my truth was truth. And I'm thrilled to say that we are closer now than we were before. Um, I have relationships with my sister's kids, with my brother's kids, his and his wife's kids. So there's a true happy ending to the story, but it took a while. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing. John. Well, I, I mentioned I was reading a bit about your your interaction with your pastor mm-hmm. at the time, or the family pastor. Um, and can you give an abbreviated version of that? Because I think what you did is what so many people wish they could have done or wish they had thought of doing when they were talking to a pastor or a priest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I did come out, one of the things that my mom asked me to do was to talk to our minister. And so I, gr- I agreed. I thought, again, if I could make this person an ally... Great, because I knew my parents were going to uh, look to them, look to him as a, as a spiritual advisor. So he set aside 30 minutes to meet with me. I, you know, went to the uh, Barnes and Noble. I bought the Oxford Companion to the Bible, and I sat down with that in the Bible, and I began to study. Went through it line by line. So when I met with him, I was ready to go. And so I walked in, and he said, "Well, you know what you're doing." is an abomination to God. And I said, actually, I don't. So I said, let me ask you a question. When we die and we go to heaven, what do we look like? Do we have the body that we had when we were young? Do we look like we did right before we died, maybe mangled in a car accident? What do we look like? He says, you know, I think you're oversimplifying it here. It's not the body that goes. The body is just a shell. What's important is the soul. And I said, exactly. I'm not changing my soul. So what's the problem? And that's how we started. Wow. And wow. <laughs> so from there, he had a schedule for 30 minutes. We talked for two hours. Wow. And he finished by saying, I wish you hadn't come in here today. <laughs> because we went line by line through. He would, he would bring up Deuteronomy. He would bring up Leviticus. And he would talk about this. And I would counter with, well, yes, but it also says this. And we don't adhere to that. And it went back and forth. And I said, you know, the bottom line is you're quoting all the Old Testament. We are New Testament Christians. So that's irrelevant. 
Jesus, according to what we believe, Jesus fulfilled that. That's over. So let's talk about New Testament. Show me what Jesus had to say about this. And it was silence. And so that's what he just said. I, I wish you hadn't come in. And my point to him when I left was, you don't have to like me. You don't have to agree with what I'm doing. But as a minister, since you can't point it out in the Bible, you can't teach that this is wrong. And I was wrong because he did just that. Two weeks later, I didn't go to church anymore. I had stopped going there years past. But two weeks after that, he got up on a Sunday and he preached against the evils of this as my parents and my sister and my aunt sat in the audience and listened to this. So it was, uh, I took it as a personal win, but I was, I was very disheartened to hear that he would do that in front of people. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, to us in the community and, and I think many LGBTQ people, whether coming out now or came out long ago to hear that part of your story, that just shows uh, uh, your character and a lot of what we all possess as members of the LGBTQ community, the resilience, the courage, mm-hmm. um, this moment, you know, to, to speak up though, that is a, a characteristic of leadership and you're in a position of leadership today for what I had said in our introduction is one of the first ever, um, organized LGBTQ chamber of commerce or, or is that right? Is it is it the first? In it the is world? absolutely the first. So there were some that that came a few years there after LA started five years later. But San Francisco, the Golden Gate Business Association, is the first. Was the first. So it is. You're correct. It's 45 years continuous running. So there's there's a huge history because you know again to stand up at the beginning and to say you know there's a sense of pride you know like when we rise. And yes, there's, there is a very rich tapestry of history and membership that we have. And the GGBA has been instrumental on so many levels of helping other chambers get formed around the country, having an impact on the creation of the NGLCC. They looked to us to see how we had started and formed and a lot of things that we did so they could use that as a starting point as they created the National Chamber. So it's, it, it is a, it's a true honor to to be sitting here as president-elect. Yeah. Uh, members, they're, they're, all, they're LGBTQ-owned businesses, but also members can you know, be employees of organizations, companies. Talk to, talk to us about the membership. And, and yeah. I'm trying to get to the core of, like, why did we form an LGBTQ chamber of commerce? Well, there, there's, there's two parts to that. The first part is uh, we have a very rich membership. It is LGBTQ and allied. So we have a lot of allies. We have allies on the board. We have a lot of allies in the membership. And we have, as you know, talking to a lot of, uh, when you look to millennials, don't label me. So they may not identify as LGBTQ. I love who I love. Don't put me on a label. So it's, it, you don't have to come in wearing a particular color of the rainbow, so to speak. So we have a, a, a really broad membership in that regard. And the same thing with our members. They run the gamut from uh, architect, construction, design, uh, computer programming, IT, catering, event production, photography services. Any service you can think of that any business could do, you will find an LGBT-owned business within the chamber. You know, this uh, Terminal 1 at the, at the, new, uh, the new airport which one of our new members actually had a huge hand in designing, Tim Haggerty, and we were talking to him recently. There's actually the Harvey Milk display. There's a picture of Harvey in 1978 standing next to a kiosk of the GGBA. And it says, you know, carpenters, lawyers, you know, uh, accountants who just happen to be gay. 
It, it's just that simple. So that's a, a bit of the, the rich tapestry of which we came from. Mm-hmm. Now, over those 45 years, obviously the organization has grown. You've mm-hmm. partnered and, and brought into the fold uh, even some very large national companies that have wanted to play an active role in uh, supporting and allying with LGBTQ businesses. But how, ha- how has the, and, and also has the, business of what the organization does and the, the issues that it focuses on, how have those changed over the 45 years? Or are you still focusing on the same things today that you did back in 1970? It pretty much focuses, I think, on, well, I was not quite there at the beginning. I was a little young. Not, of course. <laughs> I'm going to throw that in there right now. Um, but I think that the core has always been the same. It's to, to educate, create opportunity, and to advocate mm-hmm. for the LGBT business community and the LGBT community at large. So that has really been, I think, been consistent overall. And uh, how it has changed, you know, it meets the demands of the times. <clears throat> there were, I was not a member in the 80s. We do have members who were. Uh, that was a very challenging time for our community in San Francisco in the, the mid-late 80s and even in the early 90s. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of things had to change because of that. And you're right. We have had some tremendous partners. The Gap is one that comes immediately to mind and uh, how they reached out to us at the beginning to have a, give us a seat at the table as representation of the LGBT community. And our president at the time, Paul Pendergast, uh, was there and, and was leading that charge for the GGBA and for the community at that time. So, and they're still a partner today. Wells Fargo has been with us for years. They're an amazing partner, very supportive of the community. So, and as the ability of companies to grow their supplier diversity pipelines, uh, with the passage of AB 1678 and different things that relate to the public utilities, the CPUCs, there's more opportunity now for LGBT-owned businesses. So, and you can be you can be a woman-owned and LGBT-owned. You can be, you know, a veteran and LGBT. So it's not like you have to choose a lane. But we are now there alongside everyone else. We have that foot in the door. We have that seat at the table. And the GGBA is continuing to push that. That's absolutely to advocate for that. I want to dive into hearing about the history, right? And you mentioned When We Rise and a lot of, uh, in the beginning of our movement, so 45, 50 years ago, it was all focused on liberation and visibility. And and 45, 50 years later, uh, we're still struggling with full equality in the workplace. Although, you know, yes, many companies, and you mentioned Wells Fargo, have marched in pride parades, have LGBTQ employee resource groups, uh, and and so forth and so on. We're still struggling with half of the state having these laws that can still fire folks for being LGBTQI. So I would imagine that the first ever LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce, the Golden Gate Business Association, has an incredible platform to educate not just you know these companies as they come to be more inclusive – but to legislators and to states and the general public of why we need a full equal rights bill. Absolutely. We have both the opportunity and the responsibility to do so because, yes, people will look to us. Companies will look to us. And sometimes it could be as simple as having them join the organizations, come to our events, and just assimilate and meet people to go, 
okay, you know, they can hear the stories they see and they go, I see the need for this. Now I understand. Uh, sometimes it's a little more pointed where we do more advocacy. You know, the chamber is not a political organization. We, we don't uh, endorse any candidates. There's nothing like that. But we do endorse policy. So we absolutely will play that role whenever we can. And whether that's going it alone, which frankly is kind of rare because there are other chambers. We, the uh, Silicon Valley, there's Sacramento. There's a lot of really active, vibrant chambers around. And also we work well with the uh, Latino chamber, the, the African-American. And it's so minority chambers across the board to advocate for each other. Because, you know, it's kind of using the when we rise and it's when we are acknowledged, we, we are stronger together. We all have these same issues to, to, to contend with. Can a member, and I'm thinking of companies that are mm-hmm. members, can they be kicked out if it turns out they're not actually walking the walk? They're not, you know, they're, they want to join to basically be seen this way to get LGBTQ support, but they're you know, funding Mike Pence's re-election campaign. <laughs> right. I mean, you started on Mike Pence. Okay. <laughs> we'll be going to a special hour, a two-hour program yes. today. <clears throat> um, the, the shorter answer is could they? I'm sure they could. Have they? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Of, I will be honest that I have told companies no because of that reason who want to join. It's like you don't get to throw us $1,000 or $5,000 so you can put our logo on your website and claim to be inclusive when this is the kind of stuff that you're doing in reality. So no, we're not here to be your PR prop. If you want to join, let us talk. We have board members and members who would love to come in and engage and let's go talk to your ERG and have a setting. I, so we could, but we haven't, nor would I want to without really having a lot of uh, heart-to-hearts first. I, I'd love for you to share your story and just your experiences in navigating the workplace. Um, you'd, you'd shared a story right before we started, and I was like, oh, wait, hold on. Like, <laughs> we, should ha- we should talk about this on the air. Because I do think, and to John's point, uh, you know, yes, it's one thing to sign up and sign on, and then it's another to really walk the walk. Uh, and sharing your story could help companies really understand that, y- yes, getting into a chamber of commerce or uh, marching in a pride parade is step one. And then there are many, many steps to follow. Oh, yes. Well, I, I'd be happy to. But let me back it up from a more recent example with that same employer or uh, company to now. I was at the NGLCC conference two years ago and was there and all these companies are there with their ERGs and the Marriott is there and they've got rainbow everything. Mm-hmm. Fried this, ERG, we're doing all of that. This is great. Look at us. And I said, yes, would you like to know how it used to be? <laughs> and a woman looked at me and I said, I'm told I was the first person to transition while working at Marriott. I didn't have a place to go to the bathroom for six months. Mm-hmm. And she just went, What? And I'm like, yes, for six months, they didn't know where I could go to the bathroom. Now, mind you, where I was standing was underneath 300 bathrooms in a hotel, <laughs> but they couldn't find a place. So their solution and, and was for that I had to hold it until 10 o'clock when the health club closed, then have security walk me up to the health club, unlock it, stand there while they wanted me to go to the men's room and then lock it when I left. And that was the solution in the short term. And that went on for about six or seven months until one time I said, I just can't do it. And I just went into where the guests normally go in the lobby because I'm like, I have to pee. It's that simple. Uh, so there has been progress made. Now, to your story, when I first came out, 1992, Michigan, right to work state. 
And I went to my general manager and I said, I need to transition. I really enjoy my job. How do I make this every easy for everyone? I don't want to be a disruption. And he instantly said, this conversation is over until I talk to corporate and legal. Full stop. Nice and warm response. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, very warm person. So about a week later, he called me back into his office. Now the head of HR was there. And I said, hi, yes. And he said, first thing I want to say is I want you to know we are a right-to-work state. You can be fired for any reason without recourse. You can't even sue. Mm. I looked at him and I said, well, I can always sue. I may not win, but I can sue. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think either one of us really want the bad publicity. So now that we got that out of the way, can we actually have a real conversation? And he laughed a little bit and he said, yes. And so we did. And we, they were literally, everything was being made in real time. There was no manual. There was no nothing. I had met a woman through the community and she was literally writing the book about how to transition at work. And she was faxing me pages at night that I would take into work <laughs> from her upcoming book. And one year later, we had multiple meetings, obviously, through. At the one-year mark, I went back in, and he called me, and he said, I'd like you to know something. He said, in the last year since you've came out, six other people have came out as transsexual, transgender, to transition in the workplace. Hmm. And you're the only one that still has a job. I said, really? Why is that? And his quote, he said, because each one of them came in like a blank, blank gender terrorist who went into the general manager and said, and said, you will do this, you will do that, you will do this, you can't do that. And he said, nobody tells a GM how to run their property. So they found a reason to get rid of them. And I was just awestruck. And I was like, I don't know what to say. And he's like, well, you know, you came in and you approached me. You didn't come in with a list of demands. And it just speaks to the lack of structure, you know, that if you just say something wrong to somebody, they'll find a reason to get rid of you. Yeah. But like I said, I believe there's still 17 right-to-work states when be fired for any reason, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I remember that very well. I'm at a loss for words. I mean, I I guess it's been so long since (laughs) I've had to work for somebody other than myself where it's like, can you do that? Can they do that? Yes, they can. Well, I mean, every company I've worked for in every state I've worked in has always been an at-will employment, which is essentially... For any reason or no reason at all, you can leave, or we, or more importantly, we can make you leave. Right. So it's they kind of get the same thing. Yeah. And in in a, in a role, I was a banquet server and bartender, so it's very forward facing with with the uh, the general public, and so I also knew that as the first person to do this, I knew I was setting a precedent, good or bad. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I could not complain to management about any harassment from other employees because then I would be considered a problem employee. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't, there was no one to complain to. I couldn't complain to management if guests were being abusive in their language because again, now I'm a problem employee. That gives them one more reason to get rid of me. So you just suck it up and you take it. You go home and you cry. Your experiences in the workplace are very, uh, they're very specific. And um, sadly, actually, it's very common also within the trans community. Your role as president for the Golden Gate Business Association has been around for 45 years. Are you the first trans president for the Golden Gate Business Association? As far as I know, yes. Uh, I don't know the full history of all the past presidents and what they may have gone on to Mm -hmm. do in their lives. But my understanding is yes. At least in the last 
uh, 10, 15 years or so. Oh, without question. Yeah. Yeah. And what my follow up questions to that is really, I mean, I I think we are still struggling as a community, LGBT, uh, especially trans Mm -hmm. in access to to, you know, basic care. um, Mm -hmm. Number one, job employment. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how the organization, the club could really make an impact on that. What do you think are some of the issues? We know that, you know, social issues impact um, a trans person's access to employment. And we're we're still struggling with that politically and socially and culturally. Yeah, there's so much there. Absolutely. Um Yes, this, the, and the, 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 the visibility. I didn't come to really understand the value of visibility mm. until the last eight years or so. Mm. Um, when I came out, I effectively went back into a new closet. I didn't talk about my gender history for the next 20 years. No. To me, it was a medical condition. Done, gone, move on. Um, so I, that, that shifted about eight years ago or so when I saw the, uh, the extent and the growing number of LGBT youth, specifically trans youth, that were being bullied, attempting suicide, skipping school because of fear of these things. And it's like, I can't just sit here and be a check writer anymore. I've got to do more. I've got to step up again. Um, so I did. And in the role that I'm moving into now, I do see opportunity. I do see, I do believe that the visibility helps. You know, when you look at the NGLCC, who does an amazing job for the community overall on a national scale, and they estimate that the, that the impact of LGBT businesses is about $1.7 trillion um, on the economy. But when you, look, you break it down and you look at it, only 2% of certified businesses are, trans, are trans-owned. Two. Just two. So why is that? How, how, can we, how can we become more open to that? How do we become more inclusive? And, and that, I think, it requires us to, to reach out a little more and to be more visible. I think there was great opportunity. I was thrilled to death. Uh, met a woman, Danielle. She's a new member. Trans woman owns her own business. And just as she was like, you're going to be president. I'm like, yes, I am. You know? And it was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, so the value of that is not lost on me. So I think that there's a lot of things we can do working with the center, working with Start Out and other groups uh, that and, and the ERG groups to let people know there's nothing stopping you from owning your own business. And I think that is something that a lot of people don't even consider to be a possibility because if you haven't seen it, how do you know that that's even possible? So yeah, we've got a great opportunity in front of us. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, housing mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, and everyone who's listening to this who's not in the Bay Area just know it's insane here how much <laughs> things cost. Um, but we also know there's a retail apocalypse going on locally, and that is nation, nationwide. Um, a lot of businesses have either their industry has, has so changed and, and the competition from whomever has, has really hurt them, or uh, their landlords have changed. I know here in San Francisco I've heard from a lot of folks who, you know, it's an ge- intergenerational thing, the longtime owner of a building either retires or dies or whatever, the next generation comes in, they're now the owner, they don't want to deal with this. They want, you know, whatever. Either they want to sell the thing or they want to get rid of this, you know, curiosity shop owner or this, you know, some lower rent paying company and get something in there that's going to, you know, they can jack their price up, uh, their rent up. Um, What I'm getting at is then what are some of the challenges? And this isn't obviously... LGBTQ specific, but 
um, what are some of the business challenges that your members are dealing with? Because it's, in many ways, a very challenging time unless your name is Google. Absolutely. And yeah, 100%. And I think uh, Andrew Yang was uh, one of his things in the, the debate was, I believe he said 30% of all brick and mortar stores in the country are closing on direct impact of Amazon. So that affects not just LGBT owned stores, that's everybody. Yeah. And when you look at our membership, we have uh, many members who do have brick and mortar storefronts. And we have many that do not that are home based, service based, work out of a co, uh, a co workspace. Yeah. So there's a lot of differences there. I think the challenges uh, are, in that regard, they're the same as they are for every business. But I think the benefit or the, the strength within the community is, as individuals, our community members are so strong because they have endured so much in their life, mm-hmm. and they're also so adaptable, and it's forward-thinking. So I think there's great opportunity when you do reach out to an LGBT-owned company. You don't get complacency. You know, because that's just not the way we've had to live our lives. So I think there's a with with a lot of our members from what I see, there's a lot of really great innovation going on in the way that they do things. Mm-hmm. And one of we've got a, a, a couple of great stories. One is uh, an allied story. Partners, uh, members of ours, is Perform for Life. It's Bryant and uh, uh, Justine Sharifi. They're now opening their third location, and how they have made their business succeed in a footprint that is a fifth the size of what the national average size of a gym is, is amazing. So, you know, and they are hip deep in the community and it's, it is that inspiration and it's, we're going to find a way to make this work. So I think people who reach out to chamber members and really take a moment to dig in and how do you do what you do? I think they would be more than impressed with the ability of our members to provide those services. We started out, you know, the conversation talking about employment in the workplace. Uh, It all goes hand in hand as corporations are starting to become more inclusive. But now we're we're kind of winding down in in our conversation talking directly about what we normally do in the LGBTQ community. I mean, at some point when they didn't employ us, we just employed ourselves. We created our own space. We found places to live and created our businesses. One of the things as an LGBTQ woman-owned business, uh, one-woman band or whatever, and I can share personally is that I always have this thing in my head where I'm just like, well, what would, why would they want to do business with me? Why would they choose me? And wh- what are they going to think of me, the way that I look or what I have to offer in comparison to everyone else? I would imagine that the club probably acts as therapy for many, uh, you know, people who uh, have started their own businesses who might also have this thing in their head. Like, you, you know, would the would the NFL uh, choose an LGBTQ-owned uh, business as a vendor? Um, would, you know, the federal government, and we're arguing what the federal government can or cannot do, in a case in which they would allow uh, small business owners to deny services, you know, to LGBTQ people just based off of a, what they're calling religious beliefs. Um, so I'm throwing a lot out at you in this concept, this idea, but I think you get it. Like we have so much going at, at us. Like uh, how do you, how do we continue to find this attitude, this voice where we're like, no, we're going to be stable we're going to be in business and no one's going to, you know, mess that up for us just because we're LGBTQ. Absolutely. I think one of the first things when you talked about with the NFL was there's a sense of with a lot of people, when they picture what an LGBT business is, 
they have a very narrow opinion of what that is. It's a flower shop. It's a catering shop. You know, it's a, it's a landscape or whatever. It's like, no. It, a glitter it, store. It's a glitter <laughs> store. Fabulous, you know. <laughs> With rainbow unicorns everywhere. It's going to be fabulous, uh, which it is. But we also have a much more depth of that. So it's getting people to understand that. And yes, the, you're 100% right on. One of the big things, the great things about our monthly Make Contacts, which is the longest running event that we do. We have done that since day one of the chamber, is a monthly mixer social at a different location of members. So it is a place to have that where you can bring your whole self and vent and hear other people vent and be motivated and uplifted by each other. So absolutely. In the case, to me personally, my business uh, is the Graham Institute of Strategic Communication. And I found a way to turn my history into a plus. Um, Right now, I am most active in Google. I teach executive presence skills at Google at all different locations. And what I go in to say, what makes me different? Why should you come to me? as a trans person, as a transsexual woman, because for the first nine years of my career, I was male. And I worked in hydraulic and pneumatic system design in the Midwest. Then I transitioned. I worked in fashion. I lived in D.C. I lived in Florida. I live in San Francisco. I've been on both sides of pretty much every table in business you can imagine. So I'm not talking to you about theory of how presence varies and the, and the discrimination against women. What I talk about is fact, what's real. I can tell you how what you're doing is going to be perceived by other people. So I'm, where I didn't talk about my history for 20 years, I've made my history into an asset. And so I think that's just one way of how our members use who they are to the benefit of their, of their, vendor, of their companies, uh, clients. So just a very basic question and follow-up to that. So to, to the people who would deny you know, a customer um, just because of a cake – or uh, a wedding, and and it goes against your belief. I think you have a very unique um, experience and in, in how you, your your own experience with your pastor, right? Like, what would you say to that person from a business point of view? To the person right, a, who owns the store, who owns the store? Because for me, it'd be like you lost a customer, and you'll probably lose a ton more. Um, that makes no business sense, you know. From just talking about pennies and, and dimes, right? Right. Um, you could probably articulate on a on a religious, on a spiritual, on a belief platform, and then talk about it from a business platform. Well, I would actually go the other way. I would I would flip it. My okay. first comment would not be to the person who owns that store. My person would be to the, to the person going to get a cake and say, "You need to patronize other LGBT businesses because they will make you a fabulous cake, and you will have an amazing wedding." Don't bother going to someone who doesn't want to serve you when you have a whole community that's waiting to embrace you. So that's why and we have so many members who have built and grown their business from other members. Uh, one of our members, David Aguilar, who uh, owns Consult Our Source, uh, it was saying that I believe 90% of his supplier pipeline, his own company, mm-hmm. comes from other LGBT members. So because he is successful, he's able to lift others up. So that would be my first comment is, why would you do that? Go to somebody who is, can't wait to throw you an amazing party. And the second thing to the person, if I were to have a conversation with that, the, the bakery owner, my first question is, how many cakes do you make for people for their second or third wedding <laughs> or out of birth wedlock child? So if you're going to stand here and talk to me about Jesus, bring it. I am more than happy to have that conversation. But don't stand here for a minute and claim piety or religious beliefs when you, don't, when you will do it for anybody else. But this is the one. Bullshit. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. I was I'm just going sorry. to say, you sound very presidential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, by the way, we're, we're uh, close to the time in which we open it up to our audience to ask our guests questions. Um, so before we do that, I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I love that answer. I'm going to use it. I'm going to take this part of the show and go to all the journalists who are covering these types of stories and say, this is what, this is what you should be printing. Um, and not, you know, this idea of, well, but, uh, the, the Christian right have been attacked by these liberals who are uh, politically correct crazies or something like that. Well, and that pastor you dealt with way back when was replaced then by another pastor who had a completely different attitude. He was. He left, and they had a new minister come in and who was uh, older. So I, my first thought was, okay, that's, this is less likely to be accepting. <laughs> right. And the first minute he saw me, now a period of time went by, probably a year and a half. So from when I saw the first minister to when I saw this man, I had really started transition. My hair had grown. I was living full time. The first word out of this man's mouth when he saw me was, hey, girl, come on in. <laughs> How do you not love that? <laughs> and so we sat down and we had some disagreements on some different, uh, a few things. But he basically said, you know, he said, there's two things that anyone needs to understand. He said, the first is you can find a verse in the Bible to back up any belief you want. If that's your goal is to find a verse, you can do it. You want to believe in selling your daughter off? You want to believe in slavery? You, want to, you can find a verse to do it. He said, so you can't do that. You need to go in with an open heart. And secondly, who am I to judge? This is left to God. My job is to love, is to welcome. If there's a question, that goes to a higher power. That is not for me to judge. And I'm like, that's all I ever asked for, yeah. right there. Wow. wow. Question for Gina from the audience. Let me give you the mic. Hi, Gina. Um, Hi. My name is Laura. I'm actually a board member on the GGB as well, and you know, really excited to have our first transgender president representing and having Gina in general represent. Um, my question to you is something that we also have been struggling with at the GGBA, which is around pronouns, especially in the workplace. And so I was just wondering if you have any sort of advice for the audience about how to kind of navigate the world of pronouns, how to kind of approach somebody and ask them how they would like to be addressed, especially when and they present, you know, in a way that you would think is very gendered, but to them, they might not want to be perceived in that way. So what are some of your pieces of advice? What do you talk to Google executives about, you know, as far as navigating the world of pronouns? Ah, excellent question. Um, pronouns are a very individual issue. And yes, there, we, we we're at a time when we can't, you can't make an assumption. I literally have the word del cuore, the Italian phrase for from the heart, tattooed on my arm, because I'm a believer that if you come from the heart, the words don't matter. So if you approach someone and you make a mistake, but your intent is real, you'll be fine. So the first thing is if you, when you meet someone, if you're not sure, simply ask, what's your pronoun? Mm -hmm. how, how, how should I address you? Simply asking someone who is gender nonconforming or transgender what pronoun they, to be asked is huge. Most people just assume or they are afraid to make a mistake so they don't engage in all. Just ask. And it's as simple as that because most people will just love the fact that you're taking that interest and you'll be fine. And in, in the course of conversation, if someone happens to slip, that's human nature. And I think most people who have... who 
have been in this world for a while, my family slipped for seven years solidly in and out. You know, I, I thought if I used to tell myself, it took me 28 years to accept who I was. How can I expect my family to get there in 20 minutes? It's going to take them time. So people are going to slip, especially people that have known you for a long time. So for employers, the, the comment would be to simply ask, you know, and for someone who's going in saying, I'm, I want to identify this way now, or I'm transitioning, is to be open and let your colleagues know. Be forthcoming, but just del cuore, come from the heart. <laughs> Gina, I'd like to know, does the GGBA plan on growing? Are you looking to grow? And if so, how do you go, plan to go about that? When I joined the GGBA a few years ago, I expected that the GBA was all brick-and-mortar organizations, had no idea that, that I would be accepted. I came to the first meeting, and I was quite accepted. I was wondering, how do you plan on, on reaching out to people like me who may not know that, you're, that it's available, the GGBA, to those like myself? Great question, and thank you, Paul, for being a member. And by the way, he has an amazing event coming up in October with, I believe it's over 100 nonprofits. 150 nonprofits. So by all means, check that out. Uh, no, excellent point. Because the when I first heard the idea of a Chamber of Commerce, I thought, it's kind of like the Elks Club and things my dad would have done in the 60s. Is that really for me? And then I got to meet uh, specifically J.P. Letty and Laura. J.P. was present at the time. And I met the Chamber and then I saw the value the real value of it. So our duty and our role moving forward, yes, we want to grow. How do we do that? My Of the belief, we need to become more integral in the daily lives of our members so that our members are out there talking about why the GGBA is important to them. So I, we can stand up here all day and talk about it, but if you talk about it to your friends, that has more impact on your circle. So what I'm hoping to do over the next year is just to grow the touch points and become more engaged within the membership so that they become our best ambassadors to grow. Absolutely. I've got a question if no one else has one right now. Um, gig workers, you talk about the broad range of, of, of membership and the companies and the uh, home workers and, and et cetera who are members. How is the gig economy, so-called, um, affecting potential members or, uh, or even their view of themselves? Are they individual business people? Obviously, this is a huge legal issue of whether or not they are employees or whatever. Absolutely. And there's a lot of issue around, you know, if they are employees, do they get benefits, right. yada, yada. Um, it's interesting. It's a really good question because the short answer is I don't know how many of our members are involved in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I know we have members that sideline to their main business. They might be part of Airbnb. They might drive a couple hours on the weekend or at night to make some extra money through one of the ride share services. So it's absolutely affecting uh, the membership. At the same time, it gives opportunity to people who are LGBT or allied that want to join the GGBA. You can do that. You can come in as an individual member. Don't have to be a small business owner. You can come in as an individual member and just say, yeah, these are still the business issues I have. I may drive, but now I have, you know, the cost of my vehicle. I've got maintenance. How do I do my taxes? How does this affect? And you want to talk to somebody that respects your whole self in business, and this is a great place to do that. So we are, I would love to get more people that are more actively 
where their dominant line is in the gig economy to become part of it and then share with the members so the whole membership can grow and understand that better. That would be amazing. You brought up the m- millennials a couple times in our conversation. Got to love the millennials. You know, they're making <laughs> the world go round. Um, and, I, and it's funny because I talk, sometimes I talk like I'm part of the millennial group and then other times I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm on the cut. <laughs> oh, no, um, You're a self-denying model. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, younger generations are beginning to understand, uh, especially if you're LGBTQI and younger, um, that when we talk about our movement, we're, we're intentional and also intersectional in our conversation. And so after 45 years of being in, in existence, we know that there are opportunities for growth. But when we talk about our, our communities and when we're socializing, we should be making sure we're reaching out to, you know, LGBTQ people of color and the experiences that they face in today's society, LGBTQI immigrants, LGBTQI migrants. I mean, all of this right now when we start talking about the social issues that impact us. I'd love for you to kind of wind down our conversation, your thoughts and your vision for the future of GGBA, um, pulling in more members, but you know, from an intersectional approach. I, I think you're you're the, the right voice uh, for the right time, the right leader for this, for this approach. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, very honored. It's yes. I think that the one thing that GGBA is really on track to do is to continue to evolve and represent and involve in a way that matches the diversity of of the community. You know, for a long time, yes, it was it's the LGBT chamber, but for a long time it was thought of as the GL chamber. You know, it was gay and lesbian, you know, and and so and even now there are people that feel that the B is not quite as as dominant and you know where is the T and we're really proud of the fact that our board has L, G, B, T and Q. I mean, that even as a general board around the country of, of the 44, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another one that is that inclusive representation. Yes, we have to get more people of color involved without question. And that, you know, we're going to have to be proactive about that. You know, it's, why would you come to a place if you don't see yourself there? So getting those people, you know, to come in and go, well, of course you're welcome. And so, you know, to have, it's a bit of a, a circular thing. So we have to be more, direct in our outreach and getting people to come in to let them know that they are welcome and bring their expertise, bring their ideas and share. So I, I, I don't know how we're going to do that specifically just yet, but I absolutely want to see us do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I think it's an ongoing conversation for all of us who are doing work in this space. Um, went to the doctor for the first time in a long time, uh, private practice. I, I did my own, you know, assumption that the doctors are they're just not, they're not male, female, they're not LGBTQ, they're just doctors. <laughs> That's all the way that I, that, I, that I looked, but she was trying to make me feel comfortable and she um, started talking about her own life and then it, I realized that she was part of our community, LGBTQ, part of the immigrant community, uh, came as a, a refugee kid. What I'm getting at is that I think the work that the club, the organization did 45 years ago and making sure there was visibility there, people were feeling more comfortable. And so there were just more opportunities for us to really go out there and tell folks that the LGBTQ organizations are still here and they're still important, relevant for a reason. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it, you know the, the whole issue of immigration is, is an issue in and of itself. When you look just of, of 
all of the things that immigrants have brought to this country. And the reality is, unless you're effectively, you know, Hispanic and have been here before the border moved over you or you're Native American, we are all immigrants. And so to deny that impact is just foolish. It's ignorant of history. So we have to acknowledge and cultivate that. And specifically, when you look at the challenges within the LGBT youth community, you know, the homeless rate of LGBT youth is just sadly off the charts. I was part of the the TAC, the Transgender Advisory Committee, to the mayor for the first year or two. And the numbers are staggering. How can you be expected to think and launch and create something new when you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight? You know, so we have a responsibility in that avenue as well. If we're going to cultivate the next generation of business leaders and of diversity, we have to start here. We have to start looking at LGBT homelessness, specifically trans homelessness. It's, it's, it's a travesty. But, well, London Breed just approved, I believe it's $2.3 million to uh, address this issue, which is huge first in the nation. So we are making steps. Yeah, San Francisco. <laughs> yes. Um, so still important, despite whatever journalists out there who are part of big national organizations writing about how filthy it is. They've only been here for a day or two. Um, we have about eight minutes, and you had written me and said you, you also are into politics. We can get some of your individual perspectives. I'm sure, I'm happy yeah? to. Okay. Who for president in I, I think the ticket is going to be Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. I think that's the president and vice president ticket. I think that he is in many ways the future of the Democratic Party. He checks all the boxes. He's sharp. He's smart. He's a mayor, Midwestern, former military, all of that. The fact that he's gay, just it has become such a non-issue. It's amazing. And Elizabeth Warren, I'm every day I'm more and more impressed. She's that Harvard teacher. You know, with, I have a plan for that. I've thought this through. She reminds me of the teacher you had in high school who you didn't like. But 10 years later, you're like, thank God I had her because I am so much better off for going through that class. So I, I think that that's our ticket. I think it's Warren Buttigieg. You're a business person, but um, now as president-elect, when do you actually become president? When do you like have so, the inauguration and get the scepter? And- uh, oh, yes, and the crown <laughs> yeah. and the uniform, all of that. Okay. It's September 10th, which okay. everyone, please, you know, reach out to the GGBA. We'd love to have some guests and members attend. Uh, this is our annual event, September 10th. It'll be right over here in the city. Okay. Any interest, do you think, in running for office outside of this organization, but running for public office? Me? Yeah, you. I never say never. I, what I want to do right now in, in my career is I want to get women and LGBTQ people elected to state and national office. I want to use my expertise in presentation skills, in executive presence, and having lived, like I said, South Carolina, Florida, D.C., Detroit, San Francisco, to help get people elected across the board. I would never say never for myself. We have Anise Parker coming up in November, who's now heading up the Victory Fund, and they try to do that. We'll invite you. I would love that. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so now we know your ticket for for President Democratic ticket. I mean, the big question then for many of us who might be voting for a Democratic candidate is, uh, are they, uh, I hate this question, but it comes up a lot. You're asking it. I know. Electable. (laughs) This this whole idea of electability and who can can beat Donald Trump. Who can be the current the president. chosen one? Yeah, yeah the chosen, <laughs> the one, chosen absolutely. one. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Uh, yes, I, I agree. I think the, the issue of electability is is kind of like we need to get past that um, because any rules of what electability is went out the window in the last election. So 
I'm actually, I keep, I'm working on a book right now on this and I, it, it keeps being delayed because every day he says something more and more ridiculous and I got to address it and I got to <laughs> stop it. But it's, it's really, it's the future stupid, you know, to do a riff on uh, James Carville's, it's the economy stupid, it's the future. Everything about Donald Trump is backward looking. Remember when, make it great again. Everything is about a retrospective view that never was. It's like thinking, I'll leave it to Beaver was a documentary. It's not real. So, you know, everyone that I look at on the Democratic side, it's about the future. You know, what I like about Warren and Pete Buttigieg, they're talking about the issues that are, affect millennials, the largest voting bloc in this country for the rest of all of our lives. They talk about what's it like to have student debt that cr- is crushing our economy. That's, that affects housing. That affects everything. What it's, it talks about, when we were a kid, we had duck and cover because we thought the Russians were going to have a nuclear bomb. They've grown up at a time when they've had active shooter drills. Mm-hmm. This has got to stop. And so to win, to be elected, is to have a forward vision. It's about the future. What are you doing about the student debt that is now bigger than credit card debt? What are you going to do about active shooters and, and violence and gun violence and, and the, my goodness, climate change and all of this? So I, what I think is when you look at across the whole spectrum of the candidates, they are, they are forward-looking. So speaking of uh, being forward-looking, my last question, our last question here in the program um, is your, your message, your overall vision and everything that we talked about today for those who are looking to start their own business or, you know, going out there into the world, might be young, might be thinking about joining an organization, just an overall message. I, the overall message is that it's positive and there are more resources than you know. Mm. Come to the GGBA. The tapestry is, is of experience and mentorship is pervasive. It is all there. You can start an incredibly successful business without having an app. You know, not everything has to be based on an app and the latest thing. Is, you know, that's fine. But if, you, if your expertise and passion is in something else, the GGBA can help that grow and flourish. So don't give up on a dream. And even if you're not sure if you want to start your own business, it's a place to come and find inspiration. So come by yourself, bring a company, bring a friend, but definitely take a step forward because the chamber is the place you should be. Oh, what a great message. I love that. You know, in my mind, I'm always like, yeah, I got to update my website. I, I need an app. I don't have a QR code. What's a QR code? <laughs> Do they still use QR codes? Um, I think I will go and, and, and hang out at the GGBA. Gina Graham, everyone, president-elect of the Golden Gate Business Association. Congratulations on your new role. And I think the, uh, it's going to be a great, bright future for all. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. Thank you as well. Thanks appreciate this. Thank you so much to all of you who've joined us here at the Commonwealth Club. Again, I'm Michelle Miao with my co-host, John Zipper. And we're here most Thursdays. We have some great, great, great programming coming up. Next week, we have Central Valley Scholars, young folks who are making sure that LGBTQ scholars in the Central Valley have access to resources. We also have Joe Talbot, who is the director of uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, John Let It Slip Out of the Bag. Mayor Anise Parker will be here in November to talk about the 20 
2020 presidential election and the 2019 uh, um, election results. Uh, there's so much good stuff. Oh, Sashin. I oh yes, Sashin Littlefeather and Savan uh, Rose, yeah. and it's an intergenerational conversation of Native American representation in media. If you don't know Sashin, look her up. But she was the one who accepted Marlon Brando's uh, academy. Rejected. Or, Rejected. Re- reje- yes. Went up to reject, not accept, on behalf of Marlon Brando, um, and uh, and has been a constant activist since. Um, so we'll touch on also their fight for you know climate change and how they include all of that into new modern films um, with Savan, who's a younger Native Apache uh, uh, actress. And gosh, I'm so excited. There really are some great programming. Well, and then to touch on something we talked about earlier, Lane Hudson, who is run, uh, running a campaign called Zero for Zeros, which works with companies that are avowed LGBTQ allies, but then are funding, you know, campaigns of, of anti-gay, um, anti-LGBTQ candidates. So a ton of stuff coming up. All of that is coming up. And you can also check the listing at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. Thanks again for coming. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club, and you can listen to past shows at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.